Welcome to Transformation Intensive Movement 2, Week 10, Responding to Jesus' Call. So we are shifting uh, just by the very fact that we are in a new movement into a new season of our TI journey. And as we talked about last week, we talked about the call of the king. And as I was reading this week, it just struck me, and this was something mentioned in Finding God in All Things, that we aren't, we can sometimes think about calling as something to do or actually some ideal that we're supposed to live into. But this journey is actually a calling to a person. And as we journey into this next season, our longing is that as you engage with the scriptures and as you spend time with Jesus in those places, that you will be so enamored by him and that the call of the king will come out of this place of deep desire for him. And so we have just a brief video that highlights for us uh, who Jesus is as we head into this next season. I want to encourage you just to sit with that for a minute. So let's um, take about a minute of silence. Maybe there's one of those words of description that uh, is remaining with you. And just savor that for the next um, 60 seconds. Amen. Um, tonight is a little bit different in that um, in lieu of having a first prayer exercise, I need to give you an important teaching on uh, the discernment of spirits. This is a really a critical part of the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. And you may say, wow, Val, it would have been nice if you maybe gave us that teaching a month ago uh, instead of um, tonight, that would have been really helpful. But hopefully uh, this will be a good time uh, for you to um, grasp a little of this and begin to live into it. And I've given you things that you can continue to study with uh, this week. Um, but for now, um, let me introduce this by just saying that there are two sets of rules for the discernment of spirits in the Ignatian exercises. And tonight we're going to look at some highlights from the first set. Uh, first of all, though, I want to just remind you of something that we actually started at boot camp, which are just these simple sort of words to, that we try to wrap around um, what is meant by consolation and what's meant by desolation. So I want to just read these to you by way of review and then jump in a little more deeply into this teaching. Uh, so the first is the word consolation. Um, cons and I'll just read this to you, and it's in your boot camp materials. A spiritual consolation occurs when there is in any interior movement which causes us to be set on fire with love for God, to feel his love very deeply, and to feel our hope for everything else transformed, our love for everything else transformed so that we love everything in God. So hopefully that's part of what you have experienced in the first movement is this is spiritual consolation. It may be when we are moved to tears, we've been paying attention to tears, in such a way that these quicken our love for God. Tears of sorrow, sympathy, joy, or any situation which is oriented 
in witness or worship of God. Um, consolation gives us ease in the spiritual life. And joy and peace in the service of God. Strength and courage to continue praying. Our love for God increases. Nothing is too hard or impossible when we're experiencing consolation. Uh, any increase of faith, hope, or love, any interior joy or peace or tranquility in the Lord is spiritual consolation. And then by way of review, uh, a little bit on desolation. Uh, desolation beats down and discourages, makes the practice of prayer and the virtues seem hard, gives us fears, doubts, insecurity, makes us feel the attraction of things which are less than God. Any decrease of faith, hope, and love, or interior joy, or peace, or tranquility in the Lord is spiritual, should, that should say desolation. So that just by way of review. Um, now let me um, uh, bring this a little bit deeper and add another nuance to this for you. Um, Ignatius wants us to be pay careful attention when we're noticing consolation and desolation to realize that we experience consolation and desolation in different ways depending on whether we're moving toward God or we're moving away from God. And I, I think it's uh, helpful to realize this is not only the case um, for those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, but even for those who are kind of on the road, you may recognize uh, family members or friends who are maybe either curious about um, Jesus or maybe they're antagonistic to Christianity. You'll notice that even there, these, these rules for consolation and desolation seem to make sense as to whether they're moving away from God or toward God. So the first rule is that um, when people, this, this is just a direct quote, so these are people moving away from God. This is how he describes it. With people who go from one deadly sin to another, it is the usual practice of the enemy to hold out apparent pleasures so that he makes them imagine sensual delights and satisfactions in order to maintain and reinforce in them their vices and sins. I don't know if that rings true to your experience. I think of uh, some friends and family members that once they started moving in that direction away from God, um, it just got more exciting for them every day, uh, the, the thought of going deeper and deeper in, into the sin. And I think certainly when you see someone involved in, a, in an addictive behavior, um, it's amazing how like the current, like, uh, the current high becomes boring and they become tempted to the greater high, to the next high. Even the cycles of addiction are much like this. So these are for those who are moving away from the Lord. Um, with people of this kind, the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, uses the opposite procedure, causing pricks of conscience and feelings of remorse by means of the natural power of rational or moral judgment. So this means that if someone has been just the happiest-go-lucky sinner, and all of a sudden it's really bothering them what they're doing, you're like, yay, God, you know, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is at work. Um, uh, then let me uh, read rule two. In the case of people who are making serious progress in the purification of their sins and who advance from good to better in the service of God, our Lord, the procedure is contrary to the one described in rule one. For them, for then it is characteristic of the bad spirit to harass, to sadden, to obstruct, and disturb with false reasoning so as to impede progress. Um, perhaps you've heard a comment along these lines of, you know what, it, may, it must be that, that like the devil's really threatened by what I'm doing because, man, have there been a lot of obstacles. Okay, this is the same kind of principle that Ignatius is, is articulating. He's just articulating it in a little, uh, in, a, in a different manner. Um, but you'll see that the, the evil one is working there to get in the way. Um, then to the next slide, continuing with the second rule. 
while the characteristic of the, of the good, the Holy Spirit, is to give courage and strength, consolations, tears, inspirations, and quiet, making things easy and removing all obstacles so that the person may move forward in doing good. Now, just so you don't get confused, you, you could think of like consolation are the good feelings, desolation are the bad feelings. And so like the good feelings must be from God and the bad feelings must be from the devil. But actually it's not quite as simple as that. It really depends on which direction you are moving. Um, we can experience the action or the influence of the Holy Spirit as either consolation or desolation. Um, and we can experience the action and influence of the evil one as either consolation or desolation. Because these are meant to uh, push us in a, in, a, in, a, in a direction. So if you're going in the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit might make you miserable <laughs> to get your attention. Uh, misery could just as easily be how you're experiencing the action of the Holy Spirit. It actually feels like desolation, but it's the action of the Spirit. So how we experience consolation and desolation is directly related to whether we're moving toward God or away from God. It's the Holy Spirit and the angelic spirits act to encourage us towards God what hopes for us, and they want to slow us down when we're moving in the wrong direction. Um, on the contrary, uh, from the evil one, uh, the evil and demonic spirits influence us toward what they want, and which is opposed to what God desires. So they work to impede and discourage us when we begin moving towards God, what God wants for us. Um, so this is why discernment is really important um, and why we often need someone to talk to when we are experiencing consolation and desolation. Um, because it could be that um, what you're, uh, especially I think when we experience desolation, at least for me, when I'm experiencing desolation, I like want to get out of whatever I'm in. So um, I can think of this um, series of uh, church meetings I went to at one point, and I just got so agitated, and I was, my conclusion that I came out of was like, I don't really know if I belong here anymore. It was desolation. And um, I could have just have out of like, I don't know, using just maybe reason alone think, you know, I don't fit in here anymore. Um, but all of my thoughts were moving towards that decrease of faith, hope, and love, not towards an increase of faith, hope, and love. But it, it took me like three weeks, I guess, to figure that out, what was going on. So uh, when you start to become aware of um, these dynamics of consolation and desolation, it helps us, I think, to slow down, not to be reactive, but to discern before we act. Okay, so let me try to clarify this a little bit um, by um, just putting up a couple of columns of what it looks like when we're moving towards God and what the distinctions are. So when a person is moving towards God, and think of this in any, I mean, this, this could be in... Um, your, your family life, your, um, your job, your ministry, you're moving towards God, towards what God has for you. When that is the case, consolation, which is from the Holy Spirit, helps us move in that direction. It's kind of like the wind behind your back to help you keep moving in that direction. And some of the signs of this, that you are experiencing consolation that's from God, is that we tend to have a more outward focus, which is on others. Um, so we're not inward, we're, we're outward directed. Uh, it tends to be characterized by encouragement and affirmation um, and a desire for prayer. Um, a couple of years ago, a uh, young man who was about to graduate from college um, came to see me and he uh, had been having these really weird spiritual experiences. And um, what he described was God yelling at him and he said he was, he was cowering under his desk in fear. Um, and God was yelling at him and telling him he needed to do some things, um, which were quite extreme. 
And um, so I'm thinking, that does not sound to me like that's from God. Um, you know, so I'm trying to, like, get it the, like, consolation, desolation thing. And I'm, I'm like, does that seem to you like something that Jesus would do? Could you imagine Jesus, like, yelling at you while you were cowering underneath your desk? And, and he was like, no, no, but, well, but, the, but God in the Old Testament, he would definitely do that. You know, I'm like, hmm, you know, um, let's re-examine this. Let's slow down a little bit. You know, it's just because it was a powerful spiritual experience doesn't mean it was from God, um, which is very interesting. One of my Jesuit mentors said, oh, hearing something spiritually, now that's the easy part. Discerning whether it's from God or not, that's the hard part. Lots of people have spiritual experiences, but are they coming from God? Just because they're really big and emotional and moving and dramatic and spiritual doesn't necessarily mean that they are from God. Um, but when they are from God, these are characteristics. There's that outward focus. You know, by contrast, this young man, young man was so obsessed with himself. Um, not based on encouragement and affirmation. He was in dread terror. And um, he was actually afraid to pray because he just didn't know when the next, you know, cloud of doom was going to descend upon him. Um, but when we're moving towards God, we also get this pushback from the enemy. And so desolation, when the way we experience desolation, when, when we are trying very hard to move towards God, um, is that it's an attempt to discourage our movement towards God and is often characterized by self-absorption, by accusation and criticism, um, by apathy or revulsion towards prayer. Um, you'll, you'll notice that um, <laughs> uh, this... Uh, I, I've started to pay attention to this over the years when I, like, review my prayer journal. You know, like, when I see, like, oh, my, I haven't, like, written anything in my journal for six weeks. Why am I avoiding prayer? You know, well, it might be possible that um, I'm experiencing some desolation that would drive me away from prayer. Okay, so then we flip the tables. What happens when we're moving away from God? Um, in... When moving away from God, we, we can experience what you could call consolation because they might be good feelings, but I think it might be fair to call it a, like a false consolation. Um, these, these feelings come from the evil one, and they tend to move us even further away from God. Um, and they, uh, some of the characteristics would be, you know, as you start to um, imagine what happens if you go with the flow in this situation, go with the flow away from God. Um, anticipation of pleasure or power. You know, if uh, uh, an addict is dreaming about their next hit, um, they're probably not going to see themselves like in the gutter with clothes that smell like urine and vomit. <laughs> you know, they're they're going to imagine the highest high. Um, it's it's the pleasure that is is or power over others that can be given. Uh, are characteristic of this. And it's, it's a, reassur a reassurance that what we're doing is okay. Um, oftentimes there's a lot of rationalization that goes with that, a lot of mind games, um, and rationalization of sinful behavior and emotions. Um, uh, these, the, the consolation and desolation affects not only our feeling being, but also the way we think. Um, when a person's moving away from God, God does not just turn them over, generally, <laughs> to that uh, moving in the wrong direction. And so when moving away from God, sometimes the, the sort of bad feelings, what might feel like desolation, are actually movements to try to put some roadblocks in the way, to um, slow us down, to redirect us towards what is good. Um, so here are some signs that the Holy Spirit might be trying to slow you down. Um, an absence of pleasure and contentment. Um, that's really interesting when someone gets sick of their sin. You know, it's not just because it ran its natural course. You know, it's, it's because there's actually this invitation from God to slow down. Um, pains of guilt or regret. Uh, not all guilt is bad. Not all regret is bad. Sometimes those are gifts of the Spirit. Uh, oftentimes that's what moves people to... Um, repent, to ask forgiveness. 
Um, a sudden realization of the hurt that we can cause ourselves or others. Um, it's interesting, I think, especially when someone is, you know, has really been trapped in sin, and all of a sudden they'll say, um, um, I heard recently this couple that were considering um, divorce pretty strongly, and um, but they were working on it, and uh, all of a sudden the wife revisited it, and she was like, you know, I think maybe this would impact our children and grandchildren much more profoundly than I thought. Just thinking that thought is a gift from the Holy Spirit. She's moving away from what God has for her, and he's putting these little things in the way to slow her down. Um, also, a kind of a confusion that can lead to a change of course. Um, I think this can be really helpful um, when it's not even that we're doing something terribly um, bad, but we're just not moving in the direction we, we want to go, and it seems really good on paper, but then when we actually start executing it, we're like, huh, I don't have a piece about this. Um, that kind of confusion can be an indication that the Holy Spirit of God is slowing us down and helping to redirect us. I hope that makes sense, that we experience these things in different ways depending on whether we're moving towards God or away from God. Um, just one more um, thing I want to draw to your attention is the importance of discerning our thoughts. Uh, because these are not only feelings, but thought experiences. Um, consolation, the action of the Holy Spirit, it can, leads to an increase of faith, hope, and love. And uh, desolation would be the contrary. So I don't know how many of you are scholars. I know there, we, resurrection has probably more than its fair share of scholars. But even in our intellectual work, um, paying attention to those trains of thought that lead to an increase of faith, hope, and love or to a decrease of faith, hope, and love can help us to discern our thoughts. Okay, let me mention just a couple of other rules. The other rules I've also included in your notebook, but these are the few that I wanted to make a comment on. Um, first, rule number five. While in a state, a time of desolation, don't make a big decision or go back on an important decision that you made during a season of consolation. Um, there's some common sense in this too. I, you've probably heard this common sense advice, but like after you, after you lose a loved one, especially a spouse, everyone will tell you, don't make any li big life decisions for the next year. Because you're in a season of depression, of hardship. This is not a good time to make a decision. Um, and sometimes when we're in desolation for whatever reason, whether the evil one is pressing against us, uh, or what's happening, we can want to just get out of it. You know, I need to make a change. I've got to get out of this. Uh, but Ignatius would say, wait till this desolation lifts a little bit before you make your decision. And especially if you made a decision previously in a time of deep consolation from the Holy Spirit, don't be quick to give that up just because you've moved into a time of desolation. All right, rule six. In a time of desolation, don't be passive. You can push back or act against it. Um, try praying a little longer, fast. Ask for prayer. Do something sacrificial for someone else. Um, I found this super empowering um, because my... Uh, I. I don't know. I spent most of my first couple of decades of my, my Christian life in a pretty kind of, in a rather sort of charismatic worldview that had a lot of um, allowance for like, oh yeah, man, I tell you the, you know, the, the devil's after me, the demons are bothering me. But it was kind of like, I felt a little bit more like a victim, you know, <laughs> like I need to go get someone really powerful to pray over me and make this go away. Um, and Ignatius is like, actually, you can do it. <laughs> you need to act against it. Um, and so this can be really helpful, especially if, um, if, like right now, if you really, really want to be praying and for some reason kind of a sadness sets in and you like watch Netflix instead, 
Um, I'm not talking about like you had to work or your kid is sick. I'm talking about you actually make a decision to choose something inane, <laughs> you know, rather than praying, which is why you got into this thing in the first place. You might just try acting against that. Um, I've done some interesting things when I got stuck. One time I like, I got in my car, I came over to the prayer chapel, I prayed there. You know, I'm like, I am going to pray, you know. <laughs> I am going to connect with the Lord, so there, you know. And that, that energy of acting against the desolation um, is, is a way that it empowers us to be active and not to be passive. Um, one of my uh, in, instructors uh, said that one of his colleagues, he always knows when she's in desolation because she wears the brightest colors she can to work. <laughs> you know, maybe it's as simple as that. You know, it's like, no, I'm not going to go around in sackcloth and ashes. You know, it's time to lift up my head, you know, and, and um, press back against uh, the wiles of the devil. Uh, rule seven. Use desolation as a way to deepen your humility and your dependence upon God. It helps us to remember that consolation is a gift from God and that we can't manufacture it. Um, realizing that consolation is not like a reward for doing everything right, <laughs> but it's actually a gift from the Holy Spirit. And so when we're in a place where we're, um, there's some natural downness or desolation, or a little depression, nothing clinical, but just enough that's getting us down, we realize, oh, when I'm in a bad place like this, um, it's because um, I'm not, I don't have the power to create consolation in my life. This is a gift from God. Um, rule 10, <laughs> I love this one. When in a season of consolation, remember it won't last. <laughs> so um, uh, I don't know what your experience will be of going through the exercises, but I had so many beautiful mountaintop experiences. You know, some of them like, once-in-a-lifetime kinds of um, prayer experiences. And um, a part of me was like, could this just last indefinitely? You know, could I just kind of stay up here all the time? And um, Ignatius is like, nope, you can't. That won't happen. Um, and so it's so important then that we are journaling, keeping some kind of a record of the constellations that are given to us, so that we can return to them in the future. Um, next time I'm in desolation, uh, almost any time I go on a retreat, usually leading up to the retreat, I have exhausted myself. And so by the time I get to the retreat, I'm like, I don't know if I even believe in God. What am I doing here? You know, that kind of just like, just laid low. And uh, the first thing I'll always do is review my journal. You know, I want to remind myself of those times when I have felt really close to the Lord. And those things continue to feed us over the years as we keep track of them. All right, two more. Uh, rule 12. Uh, when we boldly resist him, the devil backs down and flees. Um, James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The way may be, though he may attempt to frighten us, he departs. However, if we remain passive or become fearful or timid and fail to resist the devil, and this is a, a direct quote, uh, there is no wild beast so fierce on the face of the earth as is the enemy of human nature in the execution of his wicked designs and ever-increasing malice. Um, so for that reason, we do need to fight <laughs> and to not be passive. And then uh, rule 13, I think this is critically important. The enemy wants us to be afraid and ashamed to tell anyone that we are suffering desolation and temptation. Consequently, as soon as we make up our minds to ask for help, the devil increases his efforts to scare us or shame us into keeping silent because he knows he will lose his power over us as soon as we ask for help from someone who understands the devil's schemes. So I do encourage you, um, 
with your uh, listening groups or even one-on-one uh, -on -one with your listening group leader, if you're really going through a hard time, let someone know. It's a great way to uh, spring that trap <laughs> that the evil one may have laid for you. All right, let me um, now just briefly walk you through next week's material, and then George is going to come up, and he has a pastoral word for us. All right, so we are now on page 54. Um, I hope that you put the papers that we gave you today into the um, second movement folder, uh, or the tab behind the second movement tab, because we are beginning the second movement. Some of you want to put it in your book, so I'll give you just a minute to do that. Um, as you do, I want to give just a little shout out. You may not be aware that uh, in addition to this group that's running at Church of the Resurrection, uh, there are some satellite groups who listen to uh, these recordings and follow along with this material. Uh, one in Chicago in Uptown, another one in Colorado Springs, one in a suburb outside of Moscow in Russia, um, and a little group in Glen Ellen. Um, so they're all a part. They're sharing this experience with us. So a little shout out to them. So we're beginning this second movement, which means we're about a third of the way through um, the, the journey of transformation intensive. Um, first of all, just a little note on the scripture passages there. You'll notice that there are a number of them. Um, please know you don't need to give equal weight to all of those. I suggest you might want to actually read them all, uh, maybe in one sitting, and then maybe choose those that you would like to pray with more deeply. Um, if you turn the page over to page 56, uh, you'll see the baptismal affirmations. Um, you may find it helpful to pray with these. I think it helps us to underscore that the call uh, of responding to the call of Jesus is, um, though very simple, is also total. And so there's something about the way those baptismal affirmations capture that, that total uh, response to Jesus' call. Uh, turning the page to uh, 57 and 58, you'll see that the principle and foundation, which is something that we've been praying with through the first movement, this is a time to actually come back to this because it's in some ways been kind of an, an arch over the entire first movement, and this is a good time to bring that back in. You might, uh, my suggestion is that you try actually writing some of these um, in your own words. So I actually dashed this out this evening. Um, I might edit it later, but this is what I, I wrote for the principle and foundation. This is like Val McIntyre's principle and foundation. Um, I wrote, um, God created me in love and for love, and the purpose of my life is to allow God to love his world through me. I am so grateful for all the gifts God has given me. I don't want to take any of these gifts for granted or think of them as something that I have accomplished or earned. Rather, I want to use all of them to serve the purpose for which I was placed on this earth by God. And by the grace of God, I'll hold all my desires and hopes for health and success and financial security loosely with holy indifference. And I ask only for that which will deepen my relationship with God and make me most fruitful for the sake of God's kingdom. So my encouragement to you is maybe write your own principle and foundation, or you could also, um, uh, this is a traditional uh, prayer, part of the spiritual exercises um, called the consideration of the kingdom uh, or eternal Lord of all things. And so you have the literal translation on the left, uh, translated by George uh, Gantz, and then you have a paraphrase, a loving disciple's offering, and you could write your own paraphrase of that prayer if it helps you. And then you'll see on the next two pages are the full set of rules from Ignatius of Loyola. I didn't um, prescribe any particular way that you want to pray with those, that, but you might find it helpful just to read them through and be like, and, and take note of that, like, oh, wow, maybe that was desolation or maybe that was consolation in my life. Um, and then finally, if you turn to your prayer resource section, uh, which is the next section over on page 22 and 23, 
There are some prayers of response to Jesus' call. Uh, you'll see one there that's quite familiar, uh, the prayer of Francis Assisi, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. So you may find as you're trying to respond to Jesus' call that these words that other people have written may help you to give voice to your own, um, to your own prayer. So just two comments before George comes up. Um, uh, the first is just to say that we offer you a variety of ways of prayer, both in the large group and for your personal prayer. And we, we want you to try new things and to be open, but please don't feel any pressure for everything to be equally helpful to you. You don't have to say, everything given to me in TI was awesome. Uh, it's not going to be. That's why there's a variety, because we're different people and we approach things in different ways. It's okay to find some things more helpful than others. Um, we're hoping that you will actually discover things that really work for you, um, but we also expect that some of them won't work for you. Uh, it's just a little different for each retreatant. So even in a large group experience, you know, some people might have a really moving experience, and others, like, it was a dud. That's fine. And that's one reason we listen together, because we realize each of us are touched by other things. Uh, and then finally, my uh, encouragement to you just to stay where the fruit is. Um, it's much more important for you to have a sense of God's, of consolation, of intimacy with God as you're praying than it is to like check off everything. This is not a class in that sense. This is a way for you to commit, to connect with God. So the only other thing I have to say is the same thing George is going to say, but we're going to say it to you three times because Christy said it, I'm going to say it, and I think George will say it. Um, and that is that in responding to Jesus' call, our first call is actually to Jesus himself. Um, it's, it's not about figuring out, you know, like what I'm going to do when I grow up um, or what really matters in my life. Our first call is to Jesus himself. So, uh, George, uh, come and share the pastoral word that you have for us. Yeah, that's the one. I want to talk to you about the call. I, I, I feel like I've been called over and over and over again. Maybe I should answer. But I, so much when we get to this section reminds me of being called to be an officer in the military. Um, you know, the recruiting poster. I, I just thought of it while we were talking. You know, it's interesting. We personify Uncle Sam. We use this character as a person. Right when when I'm when I felt called to be a, a military officer, you know, there's recruiting and all that goes on, and um, you know they start training you. They give you a little bit of a uniform, a little bit of an ID card. They train you for a few years, and then eventually, after a number of years, they bring you in, put you in a full uniform, and stand you up in front of everybody, make you right, raise your right hand, and you know take an oath. You know. We're kind of calling you like that, but we're kind of, I'm kind of assuming that if you're in this, you've already been called at that level. I, I want to introduce you to a different level. I mean, I like what Ignatius does. I mean, he begins the call. He talks about desire being the engine that drives all ministry, and he wants to work with that. That's why we've been looking at desires. Um, but when I was called first to be a military officer, I, I mean, I got up there I, after the, it was four years of training, and I got up there and raised my right hand and took the oath. And I, as I think back about it now, I, I was kind of walking, not blindly. They take you out and they train you. You know, you do a, little, do a little bit with flight. You do a little bit with ships. You do a little bit with the Marine Corps. And then they get you to take the oath. So you are kind of been exposed to the institution of the Navy, the military. And so I was kind of taking the oath, and that was what was in my mind, okay? I'm becoming part of this institution. We really want more of that for you. It, and after I was in the Navy for quite a while, and I had gone a lot of places, and in the, we, you know, we don't have kings in the United States, right? You got bosses, that's about as bad as it gets, right? <laughs> But we don't have kings. But in the military, I mean, I was with one unit with the Marine Corps where they actually called the commanding officer the king. He was the king, all right? If you wanted to borrow his Humvee, 
the, just remember the king don't ever walk. <laughs> you better have it back before he wants it. So it's, it's this loyalty beyond the institution. As I went out and I did operations with these different commanding officers, I'll tell you, some were bad, some were good, and a few were unbelievably great leaders. And there, those few, I could count them on one hand, if they called me on the telephone this evening, I would go with them. I wouldn't even really need to ask where we were going or what we were going to do, just because of who they are. And I only got to know who they are by being with them. You know, there's one particular guy I spent two years in the Persian Gulf. We get a... We did a lot of things. Some things were really fun. We went to the Seychelles Islands, and it was, it was really entertaining. You know, other things were not fun at all. And, uh, but I got to know that person at a at a really intimate level. You know, I mean, slept together in the same room. That sounds weird. Showered together? Yes. <laughs> I mean, all that sort of stuff. We were just together continuously, and that's really what we want for you. You know, in some ways, I think when we call people to Christianity, we call them into an institution. And the church is the bride of Christ. I mean, but what we're really, I think, Ignatius brilliantly was led to see that Christ has promised. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away, right? Remember? Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can be with 12 guys at once, right? But when the Holy Spirit comes, I can be with all of you on a personal level. And that's what this next movement is about. We're going to start from the incarnation and go through the resurrection. And God has promised that he's given us a spirit within that will help light these things up. You know, sometimes I bring in, my kids gave me a Google Cardboard. Have you ever seen that? It's this cool cardboard thing. It unfolds and it's goggles. You put it on, you slip your phone in. And if you go to the web, you know, it gives you stuff in like stereo and you can look around. It's amazing. I'm like, how's the scripture ever going to compete with stuff like this, right? IMAX theaters and all that. And two-word answer, Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit working within, through the word, lighting up the person of Christ. I think J.I. Packer's best book, I think it's the best book on the Holy Spirit out there by J.I. Packer, his illustration of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the spotlight. The spotlight over your shoulder, shining onto the stage, lighting up Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So if you're worried about imaginative prayer, I'm an analytical type. I have a hard time with imaginative prayer. Just trust God that he's promised he will do it and he will do it. But you have to get your butt in the chair, right? Read your scripture. And there comes a point where you stop analyzing it and you're just there with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Sometimes you'll be in the boat in the storm, you know, sometimes you'll be in the temple, sometimes you'll be all these places, but it's like going on deployment and you get to know the greatest, right? That, that opening thing, that's my king. Well, that does it for me a little, but when I do it with the scripture and I sit there and I'm with him, I get that personal bond so that when he rings me up and wants me to go do something, I don't need to ask what it is. I know, like Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, I love that opening part where Paul's talking to Timothy about his call. Right? You've been called to a holy, holy calling, and then Paul goes on to say about his calling, I'm not ashamed because I know who I have believed in. I know him intimately. He is able to protect what he's given me. You know, and that's what I think the exercises are really about. I've completely lost where I am. 
put up the, the my own my next my one and only slide. This is a picture by the artist Caravaggio. I love this picture. It's called the incredulity of Thomas. You know, Thomas. <laughs> he just wanted to know beyond a doubt, and Jesus came. And I, just this picture, if you, I, I zoomed in on it and I looked at Thomas's hand, his, his fingers are dirty. You know, Jesus is guiding him. You know, it's like, Thomas, check me out. You can even check the inside if you need to, right? Check the wounds, the resurrected Christ. You're really here with me. This is for real. That's the kind of personal connection that makes transformation a reality. And he will do it. He will do it. We just have to make ourselves available. One last thing I want to say, and, and I learned this. I, I, I got to go to college, uh, grad school for teaching. I have a master's in teaching and one, at, from University of North Carolina. And I don't remember anything else from that master's degree. It was physics teaching. But I remember this. They said, if you take an average student and you give them private tutoring, you will inevitably move them into the 95th percentile. Jesus is here so, to do private tutoring with us. Private tutoring. I mean, that's what it is. Christ within each of us. And it's way different from saying yes to the call from an institution. It's way different from just sitting in a congregation, listening to a sermon. It's real personal. And it's real intimate. And it's all of the leaders, it's our prayer for you that you have these experiences and it actually becomes a way of life. Well, the only thing left was, you know, there, we've thrown a lot at you. And I was just going to do this reading from um, John chapter 1 and give you a few minutes of silence to sit there. And then you can write in your journals about the rules about who is my king, just about your desire for that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe he'll take you by the hand and put your finger into his wounds. Let me give you just a little a reading from uh, John chapter 1. And then we'll just have some silence and you can write in your journals. This is John the Baptist speaking. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. And the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see.
Amen.